All right, good morning. Doing okay? Yeah? All right, get your Bible. If you don't mind, get your Bible or a Bible, or we'll have screen uh, verses on the screen too. But um, yeah, we're going to be in Acts chapter 15 this morning, and um, it is good to be together. Uh, just a couple of quick things as we uh, dive into this passage this morning. Uh, one thing, I am super excited to get back into the book of Acts verse by verse. Um, we took a little break, had a guest preacher, looked at a couple of places in Galatians as that was related to Acts, but I'm not wanting to do anything else. Like you guys are going to see this morning, Acts chapter 15 is incredible. And so we're diving into that uh, this morning. Now, one thing I want to tell you about, uh, so we're coming up on our 15-year anniversary as a church. Okay, that's exciting. Um, so we, when we first started the church, we launched in 2008, but before then we moved to Raleigh in 2007. And uh, we would send out a newsletter uh, to people um, telling them what's going on. A lot of people were praying for us, my wife and I, and a small group of people. And, and a lot of people were giving financially to help us start the church. And we would send out a newsletter. And the newsletter, the title of the newsletter was the Acts 1427 Report. And so, I, you know, I, I, say, I share that. I found one from August 2007 in an old email account. I had to look up that. And, and I wanted to read you this excerpt. And it's, it's relevant because that's really the verse, like right before this chapter. Um, so, so here's what was said, and this is the first Acts 14.27 report that was sent out. So you can kind of see it there. Um, but it said, greetings from Raleigh. We are finally here. Thank you for your patience as we have been delayed in our correspondence while getting settled into our new life and ministry routine. God is doing some great things here. In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas just returned to their sponsor church, Antioch, from a church planting mission. Acts 14 verse 27 tells us that they gave a report of all that God had done through them. We are counting on God doing some amazing things through us here in Raleigh. This is why we are here and why you are praying for and financially supporting us. Therefore, when you get newsletters from us in the future, they will be called Acts 14.27 reports. And so, you know, it's just, just really cool. Now, I want to read to you verse 27 of Acts 14. So, so I'm going to put it on the screen and I want to read it to you because it's, it's very pivotal, this verse. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how, watch this, he, that's God, had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, the reason this is so important is because this verse, this verse, like this verse 27, it raised a question and major concern for some in the early church. This was a big question, and it became a big question about the essentials of the Christian faith. 
Now, you know, of course, there were always a lot of Jewish people that wanted to win the world for the Lord. If you read the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, you'll see the, the idea of and desire to reach the nations that they would learn about the Lord. In theory, big picture, in principle, yes, we want to reach the Gentiles. We want them to have faith. But now, in the early church, when in Acts 14, they're getting into the nitty-gritty. All right? Now it's becoming, oh, okay, all right. Gentiles are becoming Christians, so we're supposed to be in church together now. We're supposed to have meals together now. We're supposed to be not two separate people, but one people now. What sounded like an awesome idea in theory now is becoming a challenge practically. That's what we see. It's like that person who says, you know what? I'm colorblind. Me? I'm colorblind. I'm colorblind. I'm anti-racist. Love is love. And then that person who says and sincerely means those things, their daughter brings over for dinner a person that they're in love with from a very different background. Different race, different culture, different um, priorities, growing up and habits and customs raised with different values. Perhaps still same Christian faith, but then that person who sincerely meant those statements that they espoused about in theory, they are all these great virtuous things. Now it's like the nitty gritty. Yeah. And it just can be a challenge. It's like, okay, now we've got to go through this. That's what's happening. In Acts 15, verse 1, right after the big report that the door of faith has been opened to the, basically to the world, to the Gentiles. Some people come to Antioch and verse 1 says, hey, 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 unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. These were not non-Christians saying this. These were Jewish Christians that loved Jesus, but that felt these new Gentile Christians needed to become Jewish. They needed to like take on the customs of Moses, be circumcised. So that's the big question in this chapter. It's a question of grace. It's a question of freedom. It's a question of what does it mean to really be incorporated into the people of God, as we just sang, to belong. You know, God's people in the Old Testament were the Jews. Hello? Like, that's something we know. Jesus was Jewish. He was the awaited Messiah of the Jews. Peter was Jewish. Paul was Jewish. The church started out in Jerusalem. All the early Christians were Jews. So Christianity started out sort of like a, like a sect of Judaism who embraced Jesus as their Messiah. That's how it started out. But now the door of faith has opened to the Gentiles. And this raises a big question. What is required for salvation? Is it only faith? But now that we're in the nitty gritty, is it only faith? 
Or do those coming to faith in Jesus from these other filthy nations that have never known the Lord, do they need also to be saved through some other things? Does their culture need to be saved also? Do they need to assimilate into our way? It's a good question. It was the question. John Stott, in his commentary on Acts, says, and I quote, was their vision big enough to see the gospel of Christ not as a reform movement within Judaism, but as the good news for the whole world? And the church, not as a Jewish sect, but as the international family of God. He continues, and he basically says that in Acts 15, what we see is a decision made by the church that liberates the gospel from the Jewish swaddling clothes into being God's message for all humankind. So so they were having a big debate in Acts 15, an important debate. Things were not all good. There was conflict, and the conflict needed resolution. There were questions, and the questions needed answers. There was an issue, and that issue needed a decision. And so this passage this morning breaks down into four points, sort of along the lines of that decision that I just mentioned. First, the decision needs to be made urgently. Verses 1 through 5. Second, the decision needs to be made biblically. Verses 6 through 21. Third, lovingly. 22 through 29. And fourth, the decision needs to be made joyfully. Received joyfully and made joyfully. Verses 30 through 35. And so we're going to read the passage as we go. We're going to read it as we go along, as we go through each point. But first, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dive in. But before we pray, I just want to share one funny thing with you. The title of the message this morning is In One Gospel Accord, all right? And and the reason for that title is because they were not in one accord. But by the end of the passage, guess what? They are in one accord. And one thing I wanted to show you is we were having an elder meeting uh, a, a year or two ago, and we realized that every single elder at the church drove a burgundy Honda Accord. I'll show you the picture. <laughs> and then we added an, another elder that also has a silver Honda Accord, and it just, we're all in one Accord. And now only one of us has an Accord, and so now we're really in one Accord. I just wanted to share this with you. So let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, this morning for your word. And we just, God, we pray that you'd help us to to understand and really um, dive into this long uh, passage in Acts 15. And God, help us not to just see this as something in, in 60 AD that was relevant to people debating things at that time. But God, help us to see how profoundly we allow our hearts to add things to the gospel as conditions for feeling right with you, for letting others be accepted with us as your people. 
Lord, may there not be the rebirth of the Pharisees in our hearts. And may passages like this one, and may your word always help us have our eyes trained on the cross and on the gospel, on the grace and on Jesus. And it is in Jesus' name uh, that we all together pray and longingly hope to hear from your word this morning. Amen. All right, in one gospel accord. The first point, and again, we're just wrestling with how to engage with big questions about the essentials of the Christian faith. Because what question could be bigger than the question, what's required for salvation? Big questions. How do you wrestle with those? How to engage with big questions about the essentials of the Christian faith? The first point is it needs to be urgent. We need to have urgency. Really, the point is, it's urgent to get to the truth on the essentials of the faith. Let me read to you verses 1 through 5. So now we're in the story, all right? So, so verse 1, but some men came down from Judea. Now, they're in Antioch, all right? They're in Antioch. It's 400 miles north of uh, Judea or Jerusalem. They're in Antioch, and it says, some men came down from Judea, because anytime someone comes somewhere from Jerusalem, they're going down from the height of Mount Zion. So, so they came down from Judea, even though they were going north, they were going up, and they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And... After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers." When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers, note that, believers, some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So what do we see here? There's a lot, right? We see that there is, Luke says, there was no small dissension and debate in Antioch. Okay, that's code language for a huge conflict broke out. And I think it, we, it would be good for us to realize that it's really good that this conflict happened. Some of us have in our minds this, this idea that all conflict is bad, that if there's conflict, it's automatically not good. It's really good that this conflict happened. God used it. It was necessary. Sometimes it's wrong not to have the conflict, right? Amen? So this is now Paul's third trip to Jerusalem. It's been 16 years since Paul became a Christian. And I know it's sometimes hard to realize as you're studying Acts how much time has passed by. It's been 16 years since he became a Christian. So him and Barnabas are going to travel to go get an answer. They need to go get a decision. It's urgent from the leadership in Jerusalem. 
Now, it's not that Paul didn't know. It's not like he was like, I wonder what the answer is. No, he wanted to go get it settled so that there would be unity in the body of Christ. So he goes 400 miles, 7 to 10 days. You can see this map just to kind of see where things are. Antioch and Syria. So they went south. It probably took 10 days. They walked. They went to Jerusalem. It's interesting as we read verses 1 through 5 how much Luke sort of shows his hand, right? Like he's definitely on Paul and Barnabas' side in this debate. He's like, they, they, here's the places they passed through. They shared with all the people how the Gentiles were coming to faith and all the people were like, right on. And then they get to Jerusalem and, and Peter and the elders and the apostles and all the leaders there are like, hello, Paul, we're all in with you. We welcome you. Good to see you. High five, secret handshake. They're all on the same page. That's how Luke is painting this picture. But then verse 5, some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, so there were believers in Christ who before they became believers in Christ were part of this Jewish party of the Pharisees. They rose up as part of this church council, this debate, and they said, no, 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 it is necessary. For, for them to be saved, for them to really be part of the people of God, they need to do what the people of God have been doing for thousands of years. We see in the Old Testament, they need to take on the customs of the people of God. Yes, Jesus saves us. Yes, it's by faith, but it's also, it's what they were saying. It's what they were saying. So this is a big and important conversation. And really for this first point, like what I want to say is it is urgent to get to the truth on the essentials of the faith. It's, it's not like casual. It's not like, oh, you know, just sort of let that pan out. It's not how it is. You remember when we were in the middle of a pandemic checking every day, how close are we to the vaccine? Or if you've ever watched the show 24 with Jack Bauer, you know, you're on a clock. It's like, we've got to get there before it detonates. That's the urgency. We got to go now. We've got to resolve this. A decision is needed urgently. Why? Well, because the way you answer the question, what's essential for being saved as a Christian, really results in two very different destinies in your life. And those destinies could not be more different. One is death, one is life. One is hell, one is heaven. It's of utmost importance. And if you think about it, this is not just something that was important then. The big question about the essentials of the Christian faith has always been in debate. At the time that this is all happening, it's 49 AD. This council in Acts 15, 49 AD. And the debate is, as you see it clearly, um, is it Jesus alone, or is it Jesus plus circumcision and Moses? In 60 AD, when Luke was writing Acts, this, this, this council had already happened, so he's writing to a new group of Christians, but they obviously needed to hear it. The debate then was still, is it Jesus alone, or is it Jesus plus, perhaps it was still circumcision and food laws, or maybe it had become special knowledge of Gnosticism. Is it Jesus plus these things? But it doesn't end there, does it? It never ends. In the 1500s, is it Jesus alone? 
Or is it Jesus plus indulgences to the Roman Catholic Church? In 2023, is it Jesus alone? Is it? Or is it Jesus plus voting a certain way? And you say, no, we're not like that. I guarantee you, you have had a conversation. Whether you're a little left or a little right, you have had a conversation with someone where one of you, you or the person, has said, you know, I, I just don't know how, how someone can even be saved and vote that way. You have had that conversation. Think about it. Is it Jesus alone or is it Jesus plus a certain way of voting? Or is it Jesus plus you have to walk an aisle and pray a specific prayer? Or is it Jesus plus full surrender, like quiet time seven days a week, full surrender? Is it Jesus plus speak in tongues? Is it Jesus plus don't do certain things like piercings, tattoos, smoking, alcohol, wearing hoodies? You know, again, we're talking not about discipleship or sanctification, but salvation. What is essential for being saved? There's some guys that came up to Antioch and said, hey, you've you got to be circumcised to be saved. It's, here's what Luke's doing. We live in a day and age, you know, you've probably heard someone say this before, you can, you can get anything on YouTube. Like, if you don't know how to do something, like, you don't know how to, like, completely change the transmission out in your car, just YouTube it. Just YouTube it. You can learn anything on YouTube. Luke's kind of saying that here. He's writing to the Christians in 60 AD, and he's saying, oh, you guys are running into the same issue? Don't worry. Someone's done it before. We've had this conversation before. Just watch the video. Just watch what happened in Acts 15. And you can learn, number one, what the final decision was, and you can also learn some lessons on how to navigate your situation. The answer is in the Bible. The question is urgent. And the answer, Luke is saying, is right here in Scripture. So how to engage with big questions about the essentials of the Christian faith? Number one, urgently. All right. Number two, biblically. Biblically. Verses 6 through 21. So now we're going to be in the council in Jerusalem. The early church, this is the first church council where they're going to make a big decision. It'll be interesting for us to watch and see how they make that decision and what it is. So biblically. So the first point I want to show you is that salvation for us and them is only by grace through faith in Jesus, and is by nothing else. And it is so important that you be able to say salvation for us and them. Salvation for you and the other person who you're struggling with, their culture, customs, things in ways that are different from you. Salvation for us and them is only by grace through faith in Jesus and is by nothing else. So verse 6 the first person to stand up in this meeting of the church is Peter. So look at verse 6. The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up. And he said to them, Brothers, you know 
that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So real quick, I'll get back to verse 8. What Peter is saying is he's saying to the council, guys, remember, 10 years ago, because this was 10 years earlier for Peter, 10 years ago, God used a vision, a double vision. It's in Acts chapter, I think, 10 and 10, I think. He called me to go share the gospel with Cornelius, the first Gentile. You remember that guy. And listen, it's important to remember, Peter is not perfectly nailing this stuff. Peter has struggled through this as well. But he knows what God has done. So he says, remember that, guys. Now verse 8. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, that's the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. You see? One thing to know is this is Peter's last appearance in the book of Acts. No more Peter. He's talking about what happened with him and Cornelius 10 years earlier. Look at all the times that Peter says, us and them, us and them, us and them. No distinction. He says us and them four times in his speech. He says that God has, did you see it? cleansed their hearts by faith. Oh God, help us believe. Help us at Fellowship probably believe that God cleanses our hearts by faith. Amen? And that he cleanses the other's heart by faith. And only by faith. Faith in Christ. Peter says, why are you putting God to the test? Think about it. If you Tell someone, let's say you have kids and you tell your child, all right, here's the rule. Do not cross that line. And they walk right up to the line and they put their foot over it. What are they doing? They're testing you. So what Peter is saying is he's saying, look, 10 years ago with Cornelius, God already spoke about this. No distinction. Hearts cleansed by faith. We are saved by grace alone just like they are saved by grace alone. Why are you guys testing what God has already spoken about. That's what he's saying. Why are you putting God to the test? He says, you're trying to put a yoke on them that we've been unable to bear. It burdens people. This kind of stuff burdens our own hearts and it burdens other people when we do it. He says in the last part of what Peter says, verse 11, he says, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So, as a Christian, we must be able to say, salvation for us and for them is only by grace 
through faith in Jesus and is by nothing else. I think it's helpful to think about the way that the gospel, the way that Christianity makes a person free. And so it's, it's even helpful, I think, here to just think for a moment about inner and outer freedom. Okay? When we do not get deep in our hearts that by grace we are on the inside free. That we have this spiritual freedom through faith in Christ. That we are free from condemnation. That we are free from the law. When we do not get that deep in our heart, do you know what will happen? talking about inner freedom. Here's what will happen. We will not enjoy or extend outer freedom in our lives or to others. Not being truly free in our own heart will inevitably cause us to use outer things, preferences, cultural things, to justify ourselves, to make us right before God or more right than others. That is what our hearts will do when we do not deep down really grasp the interior freedom that Jesus has given us through grace. So Christians should be the most free and generous people when it comes to cultural things, when it comes to community with other people. And yet, so often we're not because we have so far to go in our hearts. But thanks be to God that he is committed to growing us. So the second part of this point, again, how to engage with big questions about essentials of the Christian faith. The second part of it is, and again, the point is biblically, the second part of it is this, that the Bible is decisive for these big questions, not human opinion or tradition. Here's what people say. When people say, oh, the church got together and made a decision that affected the whole world. Great. Bunch of people, probably white males, having a big council, making decisions that are going to affect all of us. Let's go ahead and just ignore that. Like, that's what people think. Church council, oh gosh. But the key thing to see in this passage is that the Bible is decisive. Even in the Bible, the Bible is decisive. So again, look at verse 12. First, we just see uh, what Barnabas and Paul have to say. So verse 12 and all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. It's interesting um, just to note here that, that of the church council, Barnabas and Paul, I did math with this, they say 7% of the words. All right? Only 7 Um. Peter says uh, 36%. And James, who we're about to hear from, says 57% of the words. So just so you know how that breaks down. Also, it's interesting to note the word order. It's not Paul and Barnabas here. It's Barnabas and Paul. 
because they're in Jerusalem and maybe that just was strategic, who knows. But again, they only have this one verse. And so they share uh, that basically God has done all these signs and wonders. Basically, they're saying, look, it's not us. God's doing it. That's what they say. So then verse 13 is when James starts speaking. So look at verse 13. After they finished speaking, James replied. Watch what James does here. Watch. James replied, brothers, listen to me. Now, this is James who wrote the book of James. This is James who was the younger brother of Jesus Christ. This is James who Jesus appeared to after he rose from the grave in 1 Corinthians 15 and showed himself to James. And James went from a doubter to a Christian. That's this James. The other James was uh, actually executed already in a sermon that we covered already. I think Jamie preached that sermon, actually. So uh, James, the just. So brothers, listen to me. Verse 14. Simeon has related. You know, you love how James calls Peter uh, Simeon, so sensitive to the Jewish environment, Barnabas and Paul, Simeon. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. So here now, he's going to quote from the Old Testament. Amos chapter 9. He says, from the Old Testament, it says, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. That remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Verse 19. Here's James. He says, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from the blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. All right, I know that's a lot. But here's what's going on. Again, how to engage with big questions about the essentials of the Christian faith urgently. Now, biblically. James basically comes in and he says more than anyone else and he says, hey guys, the word of God needs to have the final word here. And the prophets, prophet Amos foretold this and what was foretold is happening. Therefore, my decision, James says, being a leader, my decision is we cannot require Gentiles to be circumcised. We cannot put on these new believers from other nations the burden of Moses. No. John Stott says, councils have no authority in church unless it can be shown that their conclusion is in accordance with Scripture. That's it. That's it. Biblically. You know, this is not the last church council. There will be many. There may be more. The Council of Nicaea, perhaps you've heard of it. 325, looking at the deity of Christ. Constantinople, looking at the Holy Spirit. Chalcedon in 451, the nature of Christ and the person of Christ and the deity of Christ. You could even argue that what happened in the Reformation, October 31st, 
Reformation Day, in Wittenberg, the 95 Thesis was nailed to the chapel door. But what does Martin Luther say? I'll read you a quote. When he was commanded by Emperor Charles to recant, he said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. I therefore cannot, I will not recant. Here I stand, I can do no other. The word of God, biblically. So how do we engage with big questions about the essentials of the Christian faith? Urgently, it's important. Biblically, the Bible has the last word. And now, lovingly. Lovingly. And so we're going to look here at verse 22 through 29. Lovingly. Now the point here is this. No unity can be had without truth, right? Of course. That's false unity. But we can have truth without unity, right? Yeah. So we should communicate lovingly. Because we're going to see here in verses 22 through 29 a master class on how to communicate a decision that's been made, how to communicate truth in a loving way. So verse 22, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, you see that there? Yeah. Having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. You know, Paul and Barnabas probably made them put that in there. They're like, hey, can we just throw beloved in right before our names? Thank you. Men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you, watch this, no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these you will do well. Farewell. That's it. So what do they do here? Well, they make the decision, right? And, 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 and that decision is communicated for sure. What do they do here? They send a letter, but they don't just send a letter, do they? They send people with the letter. Personal communication. Flesh and blood. Eye contact. They don't just email it, right? They don't just text it, right? They send the letter, but they do want to send the letter, right? Because the letter's laying around. Like, the letter can still be referenced 15 years later. It's there. It's at the church. But they send Silas and Judas to give encouragement, to give support, to provide extra context, to say, here's how we talk through it. Look, that's what's happening. It's interesting that just even looking at the content of the letter, again, it's a masterclass. 
They say, this is from your brothers and you are our brothers. Did you see that? Family. They, they acknowledge their pain. They say, you have been troubled and unsettled. They distance themselves from the per- people who went out claiming to be from them. They say, we didn't send them. We did not authorize them. They say, our ultimate decision is to be of no greater burden to you. And they give these prohibitions. They say, it would be helpful if you did these things or didn't do these things because of the conscience of your brothers and sisters in Christ who are Jewish. It would be helpful if you abstain from these four things. And some people have a lot of different opinions about why these four things. One scholar I think is helpful. He says it's about the venue, not the menu. And, his, and just it's kind of a good rhyme also. Uh, but, but his point is that all these four things are things that would happen in the venue of a pagan worship festival. And so he's just saying, abstain from that place. But either way, if you look at all of these, they all have to do with food, mostly, right? Again, the idea is family. The idea is unity. The idea is fellowship. We might say, wow, you know, we're all about being multicultural. We're all about being diverse. But is your dining room table that way? Are you actually having fellowship with people that are very different from you? That's the vision and view of this letter. Hey, we're not going to add to the gospel. We're not going to burden you. But we would ask you that you partner with us in making it possible for us to be this one awesome family, the body of Christ. Lovingly. No unity without truth, but we can have truth without unity. So communicate lovingly. How to engage with big questions about the essentials of the Christian faith. Urgently, biblically, lovingly, now joyfully, lastly. Received joyfully. Verse 30 and 35, we see that they received this joyfully. But we should see that and we should know that as we pursue getting the gospel right, we can expect the resulting freedom and joy and strengthening and encouragement. Look at verse 30. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers and those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So, isn't it amazing? The picture of verse 30 to 35. Earlier we had these new Christians who were, what what were the adjectives? Troubled? unsettled, burdened. And now, because gospel clarity has happened, and because Christians have had the urgency and been biblical and had the courage and been willing to sacrifice to go great distances to go get those answers, now what are the adjectives? Rejoicing, encouraging, strengthening. 
it's, it's amazing, the change. The change of how everything feels. So how do we engage with big questions about the essentials? Urgently, biblically, lovingly, joyfully. Let me close with this, this picture, this thought. <laughs> um, so, so for a time, I've mentioned this before and I probably need to stop after this one. For a time, I was part of a, uh, I was a member of a gym, okay? Um, and a uh, very intense gym. And at the beginning, they would call everyone up to this whiteboard, all right? And they would say, all right, we're going to go over the workout. We're going to go, go over it. The workout of the day, all right? And they'd have it all written on the whiteboard. And most of the people there have like special equipment and like back braces. And like they've obviously been coming there for a long time. And the person... The coach that's at the whiteboard talks so fast. They're like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do AMRAPs. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And it's like, all right, cool. Like, I have no idea what we're doing. Right, at, right after the little, little gathering, we're looking at the whiteboard. I'm like, yep, I have no idea what we're doing. So I'm just going to watch what everyone else is doing. All right, I'm going to watch. How much weight did that person get? Uh, which bar did that person go and get? Okay, all right. And I'm just going to copy. I'm just going to imitate them. Because I really don't know. I really don't know what I need to do. Here's the reason I show that story. You cannot do that as a Christian. Because a lot, of, a lot of people who claim to be Christians have the wrong weights, have the wrong, they're doing the wrong exercise, they have the wrong burdens, they don't understand it. You've got to get it from God's Word. You've got to know what God has called you to do. Yes, the Christian life is hard. Jesus says, you know, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Right? Growing in Christ is sacrificial. There is a burden to the Christian life, but being saved, that's not your burden. That's not my burden. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. We gotta understand. Yeah, they're hard things. Let's not make salvation one of those things. Jesus paid it all for us. By grace you've been saved through faith, not your own doing, the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So I want to close us in prayer. We're going to respond in song. So if you'll bow with me.